Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, hey, what's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are so excited and honored, delighted that you are here. We are wrapping up the first month of 2019. I hope your, your year is off to a good start. Hey, uh, we have a great guest for you. Before we get there, if you haven't already, you definitely need to check out our free training where we're teaching you a step-by-step plan of exactly how to find and book paid speaking engagement. So if you're someone who's like, I, I love speaking, I want to do more of this, no idea who to speak to, no idea how much to charge, no idea how do I find gigs, no idea how to get started or how to get going going, how to build momentum, no idea what to do next, then listen, listen. Yeah, you, I'm talking to you. You've come to the right place. Definitely stop by, check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, you can find that over at freespeakerworkshop.com. It's a totally free training we offer every single day, just walking you through exactly how you can find and book paid speaking engagements. So check it out, freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, so today we are talking with my friend, Miss Allie Worthington, and this is a really good conversation. Allie has a, a very successful career as a speaker and author, also a conference host. She has done a lot of speaking in women's conferences, both in faith-based and business sector. So if you are a female speaker wanting to speak to women, there's a lot here to learn from. We also talk about how having a book has impacted her speaking career. It's really made a big difference for her. And we also talk about how she has expanded her audience and topics over time, but didn't necessarily start there from the beginning. And then finally, we wrap up talking about her as a conference host, and she brings in speakers. We talk about what she's looking for and uh, how she chooses to hire speakers. So a lot here to learn from. Uh, again, if you are a, a, a female speaker wanting to speak in, in women's conferences in either the, the faith-based world or in the business sector, then there's, there's, you're going to dig this. You're really going to enjoy this. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Miss Allie Worthington. Enjoy. Hey there, my friends. Grant here today, joined by my friend, Allie Worthington, who is a, uh, a Nashville speaker and author and all around really, really cool gal. So Allie, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to hang out with us today. Thanks for having me on the show. Love it. All right. So first of all, why don't you give us a quick snapshot on your world? Because you, you do some speaking, you've got some books, you do some coaching, you seem to have your hand in a variety of different things. So uh, zoom out. Uh, actually, let's do it this way. I, I heard this question on a podcast the other day. I thought this was really good. How would your mom describe what it is that you do? Oh, that's a great question. None of my family ever understood what I did until my first book came out. And then they said, oh, that's what you do. You write. <laughs> what it is. Yeah, because that seemed like after 10 years, that gave it legitimacy. So I am a conference host. I host a women's business conference called Blistem Conference. I am an author. I have a three books working on my fourth with blood, sweat, and tears in the background. Mm -hmm. I'm a business coach and speaker. Get your hand in a few different things there. So what type of books are, do you have, but then also for the, the coaching that you're doing, the speaking that you're doing, is there a specific kind of niche that you've kind of found that works well for you or who are you typically speaking to? What are you typically speaking about? 
For my books, they are specifically for Christian women. Any type of person can read them, but Christian women is who I write them to. Because I am a business coach by nature, mm-hmm. that comes out in the books. And very often, women will buy my books and give them to their husbands. And I'll hear from husbands who've read them, even though they are you know, personal development Christian books for women, a lot of those same lessons will come out of business coaching experience or speaking experience to a mixed audience and men will really enjoy the books, but say, you know, thanks for giving it a pink cover because now I can never be seen reading it. (laughs) And for speaking, I do some different speaking. So I'll do corporate speaking, do some entrepreneurial events where I'm helping women who either own their own companies or want to own their companies. I'll speak to them but I'm also a teaching pastor at a church in Louisville, Kentucky. So a few weekends a year, I will do the Saturday night services and all three Sunday morning services. And then I also speak to Christian women's events, Christian women's conferences. And I want to spend some time talking about that because we have a lot of people who are, who are listening who are interested in speaking either A, in the women's leadership or women's conferences mm-hmm. type of space, or also B, they're interested in speaking in the, you know, the, the faith-based world to women or just kind of faith-based in general. And so I think there, there's a lot we can cover there. Before we get there, I'd be curious if we'd take a step back here. Like, how did you first get into speaking? Oh, this is a funny story. So in 2008, a women's business conference was supposed to come to Nashville, and I had met a woman on Twitter who lived outside of New York City, and she contacted me because she said, hey, there's going to be this big conference on a Saturday, fall of 2008. I have a sponsor who wants to host a cocktail party, but I need a local host, and you know everybody in Nashville. Will you be the local host? And I said, absolutely. So a couple months later, as we're planning this, this evening gathering, the conference that was coming to Nashville canceled. So the woman outside of New York calls me and says, hey, conference canceled. I guess we're going to stop the event. And I said, you know what? The sponsor's already planning on spending money on this cocktail party. Go back to them, see if they will give us some money, and we will have our own event that day. Everyone's already coming to Nashville. We don't have to charge for tickets. We'll do it on the cheap. But let's just see what happens. So that's what happened. We had an event. I think 75 people came. It was so cheesy. It was in the bar in the Preston Hotel next to the airport. Yeah. But the people who were in that room now are people who, especially in the women's entrepreneurial space or the women's ministry space, are the movers and shakers. It's Michael and Smith who has best-selling books and Emily Freeman who has courses and best-selling books. And Annie Downs was there. I mean, it's all of us 10 years ago in this cheesy little gathering going, okay, it's 2008. We're writing. We have blogs. What's going on? It was so successful that I invited everybody back four months later for an event with 250 people. And after that, that's how Blistem grew and grew and grew. But what's funny is I had never been to an event before, like a conference. You never spoke at anything? No, never. I had never even attended anything. I was a stay-at-home mom with five children just goofing around. And I had Googled how to set up a conference. You know, you do panels and you discussions and what Google could tell me I could do. But then the night before the event, my now co-founder said to me, okay, I see your run sheet, but you left off opening remarks. And she said, you're going to do those, right? And I said, I I never thought of that. I I can't speak in front of people. Right. And she said, yes, you can speak in front of people. You have to welcome all your friends. And I said, we had never met in person until that night. And I said, I've never told you this, but I'm shy. 
<laughs> and she said, I don't care if you're shy or not. Get over yourself. You're going to have to welcome everybody to the event you're hosting. And that was literally the beginning of my speaking career. I was so terrible the first couple of years that I would have ladies come back to my event every year, even when it was big and fancy. And, you know, we had it in the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. They would come up to me after I would give opening remarks and go, no one can tell that you're terrified. I mean, we know, but you're doing so much better. (laughs) (laughs) So I was really thrown into it. So you get started doing that a very initial thing and did like the bug bite you of just like, okay, that was rough, but there was enough there that like, that was kind of fun. That was intriguing. I wouldn't mind doing it again. Or how do you go from, I did this first thing that was a semi disaster and I hated it and I don't want to do it ever again to now, like it's, speaking as a, as a decent part of your career. Well, I knew I needed to do it to host the conference to, to be a good host. I needed to be able to communicate well. And there was one year, I think it was 2012, maybe, we were about to open the event. So I was backstage behind the curtains. And after I welcomed everybody, my buddy Scott Stratton was going to do the opening keynote. And I was so nervous. And Scott and I have been friends forever. And Scott looked at me and said, you're still nervous? And I said, yeah, I'm really nervous. And he goes, I don't know if you're nervous, but maybe this is just the thing you do to pump yourself up. He said, maybe that's just your adrenaline. And that kind of shifted everything from me to... I'm scared to death to I'm excited. Yeah. And it helped me get over myself because Scott was like, I'm not nervous. I'll do this all day long. I just, I'm pumped. And right. I went, oh, may, maybe that's it. So I really just had to have a mindset shift from I'm not good at this and I don't like doing this, but I'm doing it just because I have to, to I'm excited to do this because obviously there's something in me created to do this. What does it look like to explore it? Yeah, that's such a great point. I think it's so easy to concert, to confuse like nerves with just energy or excitement. So you think about like some of the biggest high stakes moments in your life, you know, the the birth of your five sons or, you know, when your husband proposed to you or whenever you went out on some new endeavor and like that moment, like you're feeling like some of those butterflies, you're feeling some of the, the excitement there. It's not necessarily nerves. It's just like the excitement and the adrenaline, the energy of that moment, but it oftentimes can be mistaken or confused for nerves. So it sounds like that's a, a bit what you were going through at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And so for me, the speaking career in terms of, you know, being booked to speak every weekend and having big speaking engagements, that didn't start until the launch of my first book in 2016. So it would be, you know, a little engagements here, there, small conferences, but things really took off. And that became a huge part of my life and my career with that first book. So did you do the book in order to get speaking engagements or speaking engagements just kind of a byproduct of, oh, I happen to have a book that's done well? Speaking engagements are absolutely a byproduct. And for most people who have a book that does well, we aren't necessarily speakers. So a lot of authors never even realize that if their book does well, that speaking is something that people will want you to do and that the publisher will also encourage you to do to keep building your platform. Right. Yeah. So for you, do you even today, do you consider yourself an author first and a speaker second? You know, you can ask me in different seasons and I'll say different things, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm in a season of writing, I'll say, oh, I'm absolutely an author first and a speaker second. But if I'm not actively writing, I'll say speaker. 
Right, right. Interesting. That makes sense. So how did you land on speaking to some of the audiences that you have now? So you mentioned like you you do the teaching pastor role that you have. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned that you do a lot of like women's conferences and faith-based women's conferences. Was that something that you kind of set out from the beginning because that's kind of semi-aligned with the books or is it more of a targeted like, hey, here's who I think I, here's who I am and here's who I best resonate with? Or how did you kind of land on that side of who you speak to and what you speak about? Zero strategy behind it whatsoever. Unlike, <laughs> Which is exactly what we teach. <laughs> yeah. Unlike the business aspect of what I do, the speaking aspect, is, the parts of it that are ministry, it's always who's in need, who wants me to come serve and speak to them. And if I can, I say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but from that perspective, there's also, there is like the business side of, there's that tension that I think a lot of speakers feel of, I enjoy speaking. Speaking is a lot of fun. If I was independently wealthy and didn't need a dime, I just like speaking. So for a lot of us, like we're drawn to speaking because we just find it fun and we want to help people and we want to serve and make a difference. But there's also the side that like I, you know, I have to eat and live indoors. And so how did you balance that of, I want to go speak. I want to go help people. I want to serve but at the same time, like I need to run a business. So I need to make a living from this too. I, you know, my, if I'm going to take time away from my, my husband, my boys, then I need to get something in return for that. How do you balance that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. So depending on where it is, if I'm gone one night or two nights and depending on the time of year, depending on the day of the week, it all affects what I'm doing normally. Cause as a business coach, I have set calls with people Monday through Thursday that if I miss, that's a huge loss of income. Yeah. What's going on in my children's schedule? Do they want me gone that long? Can, does my husband want, is it okay with him that I'm gone three nights to go do a retreat somewhere? I can't take pennies for it. So there's a certain amount that I can't go under just out of respect for my family. Plus, I'm also the breadwinner for my family. So gotcha. I don't have the luxury or the freedom to do things without financial compensation and a significant financial compensation. Has it always kind of been that case or has that been more the case like in the past few years? Like especially when you're early on when you're getting started and you're starting to do some coaching and the books are starting to take off and you're starting to do some speaking. Early on, you were you tending to do more just to, I'm just trying to get some reps and I'm trying to get my name out there and I'm trying to build this thing and I'll, I'll do anything just to speak and to help people versus now it's a bit more structured. Like what, what was that like early on for you? Yeah, I'd say 2009 through th- 2012. I'm happy to speak anywhere about anything. But even now, it was last spring, a local mops group wanted me to come over and speak to them about my latest book. And it's 10 minutes for me, 30 minutes out of my day. They didn't have any budget. So why not? But, you know, I'm definitely not going to get on a plane and go somewhere and and not be compensated. But it, it it wasn't until the book came out that I really decided okay, this, this is going to be serious, even though I'm doing it for ministry in terms of contracts and payments and all the other things, it has to be, it has to be compensated. And, and I work with a speaker's agent, Mm -hmm. so it helps take me out of the process and they, they handle a lot of the business part for me. How did the agency come into to play? Because I think there's a lot of speakers who, you know, I hear regularly of, of them saying, I, you know, I would love to get in with the bureau. I'd love to get in with an agent. And they're, they're great. They're fine for the purpose that they serve. But at the same time, you know, most bureaus and agencies aren't interested in working with, you know, 99% of the speakers that exist out there. So what were the things that you felt like you needed to have in place or the things that you did have in place before an agency was interested in working with you? 
Well, I think it's really important in the beginning to have a great speaking reel. Mm-hmm. That's key. I mean, it's one of those things. If someone is inviting you to speak and you're going to get high def video footage of you teaching or speaking, that's worth it to do for free all day long because you mm-hmm. get that video because it's really hard to get booked without a great reel. So great reel is important. I have a great form on my site where I know what the budget is that someone can't is planning on paying before I respond because if someone tells me the budget is $500, I don't get my hopes up before I respond to them. Yeah. 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 Did you start working with the agency once you had the books in place too? Yeah. I just started working with the agency in the past six months. Okay. Only because they're, I'm at a point now where there's so much going on in life. It's easier to let them negotiate and let them handle contracts and, and work my calendar that way. Cool. And surprisingly it. enough, some organizations are nervous about the quality of speaker if you don't have someone else handling your calendar. This is true. Yeah, it's kind Um, of a perceived value thing. Yeah, which I find so silly, but it's a thing apparently. Yeah, it is. Interesting. Okay. I want to talk about some of the, the markets that you speak to. So it seems like you, the, the two big markets that you work with are going to be kind of, you speak a lot to women, mm-hmm. uh, but it, you do it in a faith-based world and then kind of in a corporate world. Um, mm-hmm. Would that be fair to say? Yes. So what are the, like, what are the types of events that you are speaking at in, uh, let's start with the faith-based world. Like what, what you, you mentioned like a retreat or maybe a weekend mm-hmm. service. What would those types of events typically look like? Yeah, women's conferences, normally anywhere from, you know, 500 women to a few thousand women. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it looks like me coming in for a day and I'm the only speaker for an event and I'm speaking three times in that day. Sometimes it looks like me flying in in the morning, I speak once at night and then I fly home the next morning. I mean, that's pretty much the easiest arrangement ever. Are they typically going to be conferences or events that are put on by a church or are they put on by an association or a denomination or how, how are like who is typically making oh, the decisions on these? Yeah, absolutely church. So it's the normally the women's ministry director at the church or the woman who is in charge of women's events at the church. So they'll normally find me through my book or I've, I've even had some people find me through my podcast or through Instagram but most of the people have read my book and I've mentioned speaking in my book and that's led them to get in touch with me to bring me in for an engagement. Or is most of what you do with one or two particular denominations or is it pretty universal? Absolutely across the board. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, and so most of these conferences that are having a women's or most of these churches that are having a women's conference, are these typically mm-hmm. I would assume going to be bigger sized churches? Well, yeah. I mean, normally it's a church with, between 3,000 and 10,000 people. Okay. Mm-hmm. So today you have an agency and a bureau that's kind of handling a lot of those. Is there anything that you did early on when you were on your own to get in front of some of them or to be booked at some of those women's conferences? No, I wish I had helpful answers there. No, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, the, the best thing that I ever did was write my first book because there seems to be kind of like the the weird belief that if you don't have someone representing you that you're not quality or something, it's, it's the same thing. Before you have a book, people are very leery to bring in any speaker because a, a book provides some sense of legitimacy, yeah. even though I don't feel like that's accurate whatsoever. But there are women out there who are brilliant teachers, brilliant speakers, but because they haven't written their first book yet, 
it's very hard to get booked for speaking engagements, which again, there's absolutely no connection between the quality of your writing and the quality of your speaking, Right. but still there's this perception out there. Yeah, very true. What is it that when a women's conference is hiring you in the faith space, what is it that they are typically hiring you to speak about? Normally topics from my books. Okay. Yeah. Is- and every once in a while, someone will throw out some wild random topic, but I'm pretty honest if it's a topic that I don't think that I'm great at speaking on mm-hmm. and can say, you know, I, I could speak on the topic of beauty, but if you really want me to hit it out of the park, I can talk about busyness or I can talk about fear. I can talk about confidence, just giving you a heads up. So I'm really honest about my limitations. I would rather rather not speak at an event than speak at an event badly. I mean, the the church where I speak uh, where I'm a teaching pastor, that pastor will give me, he'll say, we're in this series. I need you to teach on this. And that's just about as stretched as I want to be with my teaching. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm very stretched every single time I do that. So I had a, a similar role a couple of years ago where I'd speak at a church, you know, six, eight times a year or so. And it was really, really fun. But the challenge was that Anytime I spoke there, I couldn't use that material again. And so, you, as you all know, like you're you're used to, oh, that story killed. I can't wait to use that story at the conference I'm speaking at next week. It's a totally different crowd. They haven't heard the story. Or I've told the story, you know, 50 times or 100 times, and I just know that this works. But when you're speaking to the same audience on a regular frequency, like that no longer works, which is good. Yeah, they, they, know, they know your jokes. They, yeah. they don't want to hear your jokes. They, you they have seen told me that before. You can't use that yeah. line again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's tough. It's very, very tough in that type of environment. So you're, you're speaking on what, you know, whether it's faith or busyness or family or, you know, some of those different types of, of topics. One of the things that I've heard, you tell me if this is true or not, is that whenever kind of going back to what we talked about earlier on the, the charging a fee is that, that women speakers in the faith-based world typically either are undercharging or that the budgets aren't always there or that they, can you come do this for free because this is ministry? Can you talk to me kind of about that in terms of like how, like any of that that you have dealt with or how that you might advise maybe like an up and coming female speaker in that space to, to deal with some of those? Well, it's very interesting because I will get requests to speak from, that come in through my site and the budget is anywhere from zero to thousands and thousands. Yeah. But because whoever is offering to bring you in to speak just has no frame of reference for what's the norm. Yeah. And I think for me, because I'm from the business world, it's easier for me to go, you know, my time has to be worth this much. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. So my advice to women is if you're still early in your career and you're not getting a ton of inquiries and a ton of requests and you're still getting your reps in, take that opportunity as much as you can and perfect your craft and serve. But once you get to a certain point where you go, you know what, I'm ready to take it to the next level. That's when you have to be willing to go, you know what, I would love to come. I'd be honored to come, but my fee is this amount. And sometimes you have to be willing to let those go. Right. But we should always ask for more than we feel comfortable for asking. I've always heard it's, it's, because again, we love what we do as speakers, it's really, really hard to walk away from a gig of any gig of any, of any dollar amount, because again, we want to help. But again, like we touched on earlier, at some point you have to treat this as a business. And so your time is valuable and and what the the service that you provide is valuable. And so you have to be uh, okay with charging for that. And even if that means saying no, if the budget's not there for a certain event. Yeah. And honestly, there's some events that you just know when you get the inquiry that 
Yeah, totally. Let's shift gears for a second. I want to talk about the business side. So mm-hmm. in all the speaking that you're doing, is there kind of a ballpark range of what's the split between of what you're doing as, as faith-based versus what you're doing as, as business conferences? Yeah, I'd say right now, just because of because I've done three books in two years and there's so much faith-based speaking, yeah. business is limited, maybe 10% is business. Okay. Gotcha. And, you know, at the, the church where I teach, a lot of times men who own companies in that area will see me teach on a Sunday and say, hey, we're having this luncheon for the staff. Can you come in and talk about such and such? Gotcha. So that's been interesting to me, people seeing me in in the pastoral role and, one, and just knowing, okay, let's bring her in for business. She can do that. Interesting. Um, because my sweet spot has always been, from my background with my conference, female entrepreneurs you know, supplying us, supplying them with the tools they need to reach their dreams because so much of that is mindset. So much of that is getting out of your own way. So much of that is just believing that you can do it and then taking those steps that I had to kind of learn to shift gears and craft a new message for the corporate audience. So I want to I want to jump on that the, the mm-hmm. female entrepreneur thing for a second because that's that's something that we hear from a lot of speakers that we work with uh, that they want to speak to female entrepreneurs and that can look a lot of different ways. So it could be, like you mentioned, it could be in the faith-based world, it could be in the business world and even just female entrepreneurs is a really, really big population. So it sounds like you're doing some of that in the faith-based world. What does it look like in the business world? Like what types of events? Is it generally like women's conferences or are there other types of events where you would be speaking largely to, to female entrepreneurs? Well, my event, Blistem, which just background has been closed for five years. It started in 2008. I walked away from it in 2013. It's coming back in November of 2019. That is for female entrepreneurs. Okay. So it would be, you know, a thousand women coming mm-hmm. together and then that community all throughout the year. Um, there are some other smaller events. I'm not sure if there, I'm not sure if there are any other events of the same size and magnitude for female entrepreneurs. So it seems like a lot of those, the like female entrepreneur events are going to be put on by individuals or not necessarily like some big group or association or company that's putting them on, but it's more kind of like the, a bunch of independent type of events. Would that be fair? Yeah, because there is no inner circle female entrepreneurs club that's going to do it. That's monetized. Um, no company is going to do it because company don't, companies don't want to deal with entrepreneurs unless you're in multi-level marketing. Now they have events, yeah. but that's to teach them how to do one specific part of business, not here's how you grow your speaking career. Here's how you get a book deal. Here's yeah. how you leverage social media to find new clients that no one else is doing that because it's such a, it's such a niche, but that niche of women needs such broad offerings. So one of the things that we we talk with our students about is that you have to be really, really clear on who you speak to. Number two, what's the problem that you solve? And then number three is like, where do those people gather? And so like you touched on that really well, that, you know, saying that I want to speak to female entrepreneurs. Awesome. That's great. What, like what are the natural events or the organizations or the groups, the associations that they are a part of? And if there's not, then you have to kind of figure out what are kind of almost the, the sub niches. So you mentioned like a, a multi-level thing or, you know, working with, you know, females in the, you know, the medical profession or something like that, mm-hmm. the, the, like here's a niche of where these women gather or these people gather that you may be able to to speak to. So you mentioned like one big thing that you've done with female entrepreneurs, at least, is that just hosting your own event. But just for the business audiences that you're speaking to at large, you mentioned women's conferences. Like who is typically 
or is it again kind of those independent groups or is there any type of women's conference association or anything like that that exists that hosts most of those? That is a great question. There is something that I did last year and I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember, but it is, it's women in business and entrepreneurs. They would have a breakfast every month and bring in a new speaker. And I can't okay. remember the name. Remember it being fantastic. All right. We can Google that. We can figure it. We can figure <laughs> it out. Are you working with any individual companies or, or is it mostly like women's conferences or what other types of business speaking engagements are you doing? Sometimes businesses will bring me in. So, you know, companies like Verizon has brought me in to speak to a small group of people it's really different all the time. It's, it's such a, it's such a smorgasbord of opportunity out there. And, and I sometimes feel bad telling my story because I literally did everything wrong. Like <laughs> everything you should do to start a speaking career. I did wrong. I fell into it from talking to someone on Twitter, thinking that I could Google starting my own conference. So right, right. I offer lots of hindsight lessons, but lessons from the beginning? No, I was, I was a mess who just fell into it. And it sounds like even today that, uh, you know, one of the things that we tell speakers is, is it's important to like really pick a niche and to pick a lane and like, here's who I speak to. And this is what I speak about. And then over time to kind of expand that. So sometimes it's dangerous to look at where you are today, where you speak to a variety of different audiences mm -hmm. on a variety of different topics. But it's important to note that that wasn't always the case, that it's really kind of, no. I started in this one world and then it's kind of expanded to this. And this is what it looks like in this season. And it may look different five years from now. It probably will look different five years from now as, you evolve and you change and, you know, seasonal life changes and mm -hmm. what you're speaking about or what you're writing about changes. And so it sounds like it's all kind of this, you know, this living, breathing process that's taken place over time. It's a really great point. In fact, when I'm coaching people, I always have to remind people, you can't look at what I'm doing 11 years into my career and think that you can start with, with a broad brush. Yeah. When you launch out there, whether you're launching a product or a service or trying to build your platform to be a personal brand or be a speaker, you can only have one thing that you're known for. Yeah. So when I first started, I was business. And I can remember in twenty, the end of 2014, the beginning of 2015 going, if I start talking about Jesus, is everyone going to freak out? Mm -hmm. And I was so nervous to make that shift to bring that into it. And no one freaked out. I'm sure I did lose some audience but I can remember being very nervous to even bring that in. And now I'm, you know, this bridge between business and ministry and it seems normal and it seems natural, but I was only known for one thing for years and years and years because yeah. it's very confusing to people when you go, here's who I am and I do this and I do this and I do this right off the bat. They need to get to know you at first with one main thing. Totally. I want to wrap up by talking about your conference, Blistem. So mm -hmm. you are putting on a conference with a thousand people coming to town. Yes. Uh, so you're at a point where at the time of this recording, we're you know, a little under a year out from planning this. I assume that you're going to be having speakers there. We are. We are. So how are, you, like, how are you going through the process on the other side of the coin as an event planner of looking through all the different people that you could have speak? What are you looking for? What are you looking at to determine whether or not you would hire a speaker? Well, the most important thing for us with our conference being on pause for five years and bringing it back is making sure that we set the tone in this first year back for the future year. So one of the special things about Blistem was we were able to have a community and have a tone of real encouragement of true community. Mm -hmm. People used to would meet, you know, one year and the next year they'd come back and they had started a business together or they, their families had gone on vacation together 
it wasn't a dog eat dog culture. It wasn't a drama culture. It wasn't a snotty culture. It was all these phenomenal, brilliant people with good hearts coming together, growing their businesses and building real community. So for me, I have to make sure that everyone I bring in this first year back sets that tone. So I'm not accepting proposals this year, which I'm sorry to everyone listening. I am a lot of the people that are coming are people who we've had speak before because I know they can protect that culture. Yeah. And I know that as of this point, they're just the best of the best. We'll have a few new people add in, but I'm being really careful with the voices that come in because the voices that come in as speakers really set the tone for the whole event. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's such a great point that one of the things we talk about is that the event planners are in the risk mitigation business. So you know, whoever you put on stage in front of the thousand guests that come to town for you is that they are a representation of you. And so if you put up someone who on stage who is saying something that's, you know, either off color or inappropriate or doesn't represent your values or goes against everything that you're trying to bring to life with this event, then it, it reflects poorly on you. And so that's why it's uh, speaking is such a relationship business. And so you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, anybody that you're going to be putting up on stage is people that you have seen speak uh, in person or some that you know and trust. And those relationships aren't relationships that happen overnight. They're relationships that take time and take years to develop to the point where you're like, yeah, I trust that person. I believe that I'm going to put that person on stage because I know that they represent who we are, what we believe, what we're about, and that they're going to do a good job and going to represent us well. And so that's one of those things that speaking is one of those things like we'd like to shortcut the process and microwave the process, but building those relationships and establishing those those relationships with event planners and those who hire speakers can oftentimes take time, but it can well, be it, extremely it, worthwhile. You're exactly right. For me, I will also look at how people engage online and on social media, and I will look at how their audience engages. Because if somebody has an audience that's always outraged or an audience that just isn't kind, I can't bring them because I don't want that audience to come see them at the event. I don't want that audience to try to come be part of the community. Yeah. Really, really important. Not only what we put out there, but just the kind of community that we as speakers and people with a big platform are building because it matters because you bring that culture with you wherever you go to speak. And I'll tell a story. I first went to the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta in 2011 because I had John Acuff and Mike Hyatt both speaking for Bliston, but I was trying to decide who I was going to have open the conference. And I'd never seen either one of them speak. And it's, I did not know Catalyst was a Christian conference. I just knew they were both speaking and I was going to go see them. Yeah. And I fell in love with Catalyst and I thought, I'm never going to miss another Catalyst again. Fell in love with it. So I just became Catalyst's biggest fangirl and went year after year after year. And after a few years, I had the opportunity to speak in a Catalyst lab, but I didn't go there just so I could speak one day. I went there because I loved it and invested in the conference. And sometimes that's what it takes before we get our opportunity or we, we get our big chance. Yeah. It's just going and serving and being part of that community. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I'm curious. You had, you did bless them several years ago. It mm-hmm. went into retirement. Like Michael Jordan is coming out of retirement. Why are you bringing it back? We feel like it's time. At the time that we walked away from it, we really went out top of the game. And it was one of those, it's funny, when we announced it was coming back, people go, I didn't ever make it, but I remember how sad the internet was when you announced that it was gone. (laughs) And we feel like now is the perfect time to bring it back because there's been a lot of growth in the community. Originally, Bliston was a blogging conference and how to build a business and a career based off of a blog. 
-hmm. Now a blog is something that we all do. So, you know, we'll have big keynotes, but now our focus is in podcasting, speaking and writing, business strategy and entrepreneurship and photography and video. So it's really grown from just blog plus things to all of the things that we do with our careers and a blog is part of it. Cool. Very cool. Hey, if people want to find out more about you and especially the uh, the conference, I know you also host a podcast. You've got a few different things I think would be relevant for the audience. Where can we go? Where can we find out yeah. more about you? You can find me at AllieWorthington.com and the podcast is The Allie Worthington Show and the conference is Blistem Conference. Awesome. Very good. Allie, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Allie Worthington. Definitely make sure you check her out, check out her books and everything that she has going on. Also, you can check out that conference, Blizzdom, that she is doing. She's just, she's got her hands on a lot of things. That girl's cranking some stuff out. So, hey, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you uh, if you haven't already, make sure you check out our free training over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com, where we are walking through a step-by-step plan of exactly how you can find and book paid speaking engagements. So again, stop by check out freespeakerworkshop.com. We'd love to have you uh, join us for that free training. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.